Let's Talk TV, True Detective, Season 3, Episode 6, Hunters in the Dark. A lot of anticipation with this episode after the Episode 5 cliffhanger where it looks like uh, Tom is a suspect after Julie's phone call to the tip line. However, Episode 6 opens up in 1980 with a little bit of pillow talk. After Wayne and Amelia have sex for the first time, Wayne calls it the, you know, he says it's not every day where getting shot at is the second most exciting thing in your life that's happened that day. She says, hey, I was trying to make you wait. You seem like a guy who likes that. A little bit of pillow talk. Nothing too significant here. Just another, I guess, a quote where, where Wayne says, makes a point to say that he tries not to remember what happened in Vietnam. Obviously, that's been a, a theme with him throughout you know these 20, uh, I guess, 35 years in this timeline, Wayne and his memory. But he says it back in 1980. Look, I tried not to, not, tried not to remember things. But we then get to, to 1990 where we have Wayne and Roland getting reprimanded for missing out on a potential uh, Tom as the murderer slash abductor says that they shouldn't have ignored that he didn't have an alibi in 1980. They think that now he might be the guy, which leads to Wayne and Roland sitting down with Tom, talking about Tom, and the tone here is completely different than how we're used to seeing them talk to him, even to the point where Tom is kind of taken back because he kind of views Roland as a friend. Some question, wasn't there? Whether she was yours. Lucy passed it around a lot when we here. Listen, she, she, I help. I fed her, got up in the night. She is mine, that child is mine. How could you, after everything you know, you think I could do something like that? Do you, you? Did you give her to somebody, Tom? What? Was she trying to get away from you? What? Somebody helping her out of a situation with you. Did why, Will know? Did why, he catch you? Why? Why? Why would I? You knew they weren't playing with that neighbor kid. Who were they meeting in the Devil's Den? I don't know. I don't know anything you're talking about. No, 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 no. Tell us about it. We want to help you. But we can't if you don't talk to us. You have Tom going crazy here, obviously, with the screaming at the end. And rightfully so. Now this is all getting turned back on him. Not only has he lost his daughter, he ha- he also has Wayne basically saying that he doesn't even know if that is his daughter because his his wife, Lucy, was known to give it up to everybody. To which Tom takes offense to, to the, hey, I don't care if it's my kid in terms of biologically. I raised her, I set up with her, I fed her, all of this stuff. And, you know, immediately after this, you have Wayne and Roland say, yeah, don't, really don't think this is our guy. Really don't think we could have missed all of this, all of this back then. So how do we follow up uh, that scene? That was, again, one of the better acting scenes. Tom is uh, on fire 
you know, in the middle episodes here, he's been probably the character who has um, been most consistent throughout the entire series uh, in terms of scenes he's in versus his success rate. Like, don't get me wrong, Ali as as Wayne has been great, but there's a lot of scenes where he's just kind of eh. You know, obviously he's got more chances, so of course he has more chances to throw up eh scenes, but Tom has been really consistent, kind of culminating in this episode here as he is the the main focus of this episode. But how do you follow up that scene? You go back to 1990 where you have Wayne and Amelia with a forced conflict, how they're both unhappy at home and both needing bigger and better things. She's mad Wayne wants to work. Wayne's mad at her because she's all of a sudden wanting to go back into this book and, and, and work that case. Have an excuse to be out doing things as well. So that's how you follow up such a great scene. We're rolling. No, wait, slow down. Back 1990, Wayne and Amelia fighting over something they have made very clear is an issue in their relationship, uh, this case, and their the way they work it. The way they work it. But uh, Tom is a suspect. Tom is a suspect, and they want to kind of start digging back around there which leads to them going to see Tom's old boss. Yeah, he quit before the school bus factory closed. Tell you the truth, he was on his way out even before what happened. Why's that? Got him drinking on the job more than once. Machines are dangerous around that shit. Always asking for a loan and you know, didn't quite get along with the rest of the guys. How do you mean? And I didn't want to say anything back then, but a few of the boys had around, so I'm going into a queer club. They got on him a lot after. So we've got a couple things here about Tom. Uh, money problems. Money problems is a big thing to take here. Asking for loans. I mean, the drinking we already know, and the, the gay part I don't, you know, him going into a gay club, I don't really know how big of a revelation that is, although maybe it will be towards the end of the episode, towards the end of the series. But, you know, plays into him and Lucy's unhappiness, um, maybe plays into, the money problems definitely play into to what happens but I guess making him look like a, a, a suspect here. But you hear that, okay, so money problems, boom. Guys didn't like him, and they were bothering him for being gay. But this all leads to ultimately to a um, search warrant being you know granted for them to go into his house where you find a little too conveniently bills and a pamphlet basically to pray the gay away, conversion therapy, uh, I guess that's where you get shocked. I, uh, I think that's what that is. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of backs up both of those claims, which seemed a little convenient. Whatever. We're running out of time in this series, so go ahead and uh, start solving that. But So we have all this, and the 1990, the, the police think, okay, maybe this uh, this ties in. Maybe he could be have, Maybe he could have worked with Woodard. Maybe he could have... Uh, been a part of this although like you still have 
1980, another you know another flashback where where Roland is trying, or excuse me, Wayne is trying to work, and they're still doing their best to try to you know pin it on Woodard. They're still doing their best to try to pin it on Woodard, and basically down to well he the way the words are spelled the way the words are spelled like he that it's shorthand so i mean he's a he's a foreigner he wouldn't have even spelled the words right so we you know we get a little bit of our racism mixed into basically the the cops trying to push wayne to calm down right to to basically let's not draw out the pain you see what's happening out here Press is making the county a hee-haw sideshow. May have gotten some help with that. Okay, detective, stick to the evidence. And it only goes one way. Even makes sense for the kidnap note. Cut out words, misspelling. It was Woodard. And where's the girl? He had a couple of oil drums he made into an incinerator. Evidence suggests he burned the body. Are we sure? She's dead. Let's not draw out the family's pain any longer. Our official position is Woodard murdered both children. That's it. Take some time. Probably a medal in this. Warren, I don't want to take time. I don't give a shit about medals, I'm telling you. Enough. He killed 10 people, Wayne. You were there. It's done. This community needs to heal, Detective. We're the first step. State law allows conviction and absentia under special circumstances. Our officer's going to need all evidence, investigative records, Everything. Twelve people. What? You putting the kids on? That means you killed twelve people. Not ten. So you keep your story straight. So here you see a couple things. Obviously, uh, 1980, Wayne not overly happy with the idea of just pinning all of this on on the trash man Brent Woodard doesn't think that's right doesn't think that that's what happened but you have uh, Gerald Kent who was the district attorney kind of hushing him to hey let's let's not push this any further this community is a circus to which Roland or Wayne excuse me rightfully points out hey yeah it is a circus because of you know, if you think back to, I believe it was episode one or episode two, you took our one clue, you made it public, you have made this kind of more hysterical than it needed to be. But here you see, you know, something that I do think is going to ultimately play in play into this, either with with the way that Wayne's career ultimately goes, or with the idea that there are cover-ups here, right? There are cover-ups here and everyone kind of has vested interest in just trying to make this go away as quickly as possible. Keep in mind that that Kent right here, who who is urging Wayne to shut up, is the district attorney. By 1990, we know that he becomes the attorney general of all of Kansas. So he has definitely been promoted here, and I do think we'll see that kind of pop back up in, in, terms, of, in terms of relevancy. We find out Dan's body in 2015 is found at the bottom of the rock quarry uh, after you know the 1990 after kind of popping back up so we find that out we got another you know we find a dead body at the end of the in the quarry to which the tv director then says hey there are a lot of uh, dead bodies here there are a lot of dead bodies here in this case to all of a sudden then 
2015, Wayne doesn't really want to talk much, but they talk more about this Harrison James guy who popped up in episode five. He is the he is the cop who was helping work with the back case or the backpack revelation. So they want to go see him because he has, you know, he he left the police force in 1981, pretty much right after this case, and got promoted to a job as Hoyt Security, which probably should have raised some red flags back in 1981, obviously. Like, I, I think that is something that you can pin in terms of sloppiness of this investigation, but now they want to go talk to him, kind of figure out why he left, and then exchange some homoerotic conversation. Why'd you leave Highway Patrol? Why'd I give up hemorrhoids and 15K a year? I don't know. That question keeps me up nights. What's the job involve? Money like that? Hawk thieves? People trying to steal the secret chicken recipe? (laughs) (laughs) Securing without compromise the integrity of corporate assets while guarding against hazards to daily operations. But I'll admit now and then I miss whiling away my days cruising around eating donuts. I don't eat donuts. I can tell. You got a good body, Detective. I don't know if I was supposed to take that as homoerotic, but there was definitely some flirting there from Harrison James when he talks about how he knows that that Wayne doesn't eat donuts. He's got a uh, great body. He's got a great body. But, you know, a little uh, it's a little heavy-handed there, basically, with the Hoyt Foods and, and what his day-to-day operations are. Basically just stopping anyone who's interfering with day-to-day business. Anyone who's, you know, interfering with day-to-day business. But we find out uh, back in 2015 that Harrison James disappeared in the 90s. In, in, in 1990, when this case kind of was being reinvestigated. So something to keep an eye out there. And again, we have the one homosexual tie with Tom. And now we have another one potentially with this, you know, security guard who's, or this head of security at Hoyt Foods. If you remember Hoyt Foods, it's been connected, you know, throughout the series a couple times as the place where Lucy Purcell used to work. And there was the idea that these kids ran away with someone that they were comfortable with. Seems like they're going to be uh, connected here. Amelia doing some police work in this case, in this episode, as she meets with the girl who was in Julie's runaway group. Nothing too, n- nothing too crazy here. Just another kind of uh, reference to her being a princess of a, or queen in a pink castle. Basically, the princess of the pink room. Another reference to the pink room. We got one of those in episode five. We get another one of those in episode six. In 1990, uh, cousin cousin Dan is meeting with Roland and Wayne in a diner. Talks about how. He has more information, kind of taunts these cops a little bit like, boy, you guys are way off on this. You know, you've been working this for 10 years and you're still way off. You ain't asking the right questions. If you think I have anything to do with it, you're, you're, if you think I have anything to do with it, or you think Tom has anything to do with it, you, you just aren't grasping how big this is. I'll give you some more information for $7,000. They try to scare him a little bit. He's not scared until. There's a scene where a bigger man walks in in the diner and 
uh, O'Brien gets a little nervous, but he he leaves, says, hey, uh, I'll, I'll contact you in a couple of days. You guys get me some money, and we will talk about it. Uh, as it continues its focus on Tom, who is now trying to help solve this case, not only for his daughter, but also to kind of help clear his name. And he heads to the police station where he overhears two cops talking about Danny O'Brien being back in town, how uh, Roland and Wayne went and met him, and that basically he's holed up in a hotel. That was the lieutenant. They just had lunch with our dirt bag. How's that? The uncle or whatever, Dan O'Brien. Met him some diner. Says he has the whole story, wants a payout. Fuck that. We and I are in a room with him. They want us to get phone records. Diamond Cactus Motel in Paradise, Nevada. Two years back, Lucy's phone records. Yeah, it's good use of our time, huh? Where's O'Brien now? He gave us a plate to run, but sounds like he's still in the wind. Seemed a little bit too convenient for me as Tom just kind of wanders in the police station and overhears, you know, this conversation. A little bit of a throwaway scene with 2015 Wayne confronting his son. Son's in there arguing with the, the blonde-headed TV director. They have a touching moment where basically, well, a little bit of a touching moment, not not really a touching moment, uh, but there's a little bit of father-son bonding here as, you know, basically Wayne asks his son about the affair. The son tries to deny it but can't. You know, his dad knows, like, hey, I'm still your dad. I know these things. I used to be a good detective. And basically gives him the advice that if he is not going to to leave his wife, if he's not planning on leaving and he doesn't think his son would look good in New York City, then he should keep it to himself. He should keep it to himself and not use the confession to his wife as a way to make himself feel better. Says it would be selfish to tell her of an affair just because of his guilty conscience, thus making himself feel better and leave his wife and his family distraught. Says the truth hurts. There's, there's some truth to that. Just uh, keep it to yourself. Luckily, these scenes are kind of few and far between as we try to wrap up these last two and a half episodes. But we're back to, to 1990, and we have Wayne and Roland riding in the car. And for some reason, this is a strange sequence for me as, as Roland wants to take Wayne home. Wayne wants to keep working the case. Roland insists that he goes home, says he needs to be home. The job will still be there tomorrow. Wayne takes offense to that and says, basically, he's not worried about his hours. He's wanting to solve this case. They have a disagreement, which leads Roland to say, that's where I'm at, and that's where you are kind of where you're at, which Wayne obviously takes offense to that, gets out of the car, Roland pulls off. Weird scene. Weird scene. Uh, But Roland... Pulls off. You eventually see Wayne make it to make it to the abandoned Purcell house. Checks out the peephole. Has a breakthrough in a case that kind of puts aside some of the theories 
you know, the peepholes kind of revealed to be a a red herring of sorts as as Wayne realizes that these notes that we found early on in the series with, you know, messages for the little girl about running away or, you know, being safe, being there for her, they weren't from some predator and the peepholes not from Tom or the uncle. It's really just a hole before uh, these two kids, these brothers and this brother and sister to pass back notes uh, back and forth to each other. And that these notes were actually from Will Purcell, the brother. So a lead that we thought we had had basically looks like no, it was a little bit of a misdirection. You get to 2015, Wayne and Roland, where they are on the case. They are comparing notes, talking about issues. He's revealing kind of the peephole thing to him. They're talking about the case. It's kind of sad as as Wayne walks out, comes back in, and he's completely lost and kind of you know has a memory lapse. But there was an important scene here in this interaction. I don't think it was anything that happened there. It I think it was when... 2015 Wayne asked Roland to check outside of his windows to see if there are any black cars out there. You know, the cars who have been parked out there for so long maybe spying on Wayne. But Roland says, no, no, no one's out there. But the camera never shows the audience whether or not someone was actually out there. This scene being right after the 1990 scene where Roland and Wayne get in a fight because Roland's trying to get Wayne to go home instead of working. Those being, you know, basically back to back. I don't know if it's another red herring. I don't know if it's another misdirection, but it seems that Roland wants in the first scene, Wayne to quit working. And this one, we're supposed to take his word that these cars aren't outside watching Wayne, but we don't get that visual confirmation. So a little doubt creeps in your mind. A little doubt creeps in your mind. Is Roland attached to all of this? Is that going to be the big twist here that, that Roland is a part of this cover-up? I mean, keep in mind, I talked to you about the, the attorney state general who got promoted, who wanted to keep this quiet. And now, you know, you know it's it's played heavily this series that one of these two detectives was held back while the other one was promoted and kept advancing and kept getting uh, you know new opportunities and new rewards. I don't know. That's where my mind went with with Roland these last couple of scenes. Is he connected to it? Because again, he's buddy buddy with Tom. He's knows how to play the politics with these, you know, with, with, with the bigwigs. Is there some type of connection there? Maybe it's a misdirection, but it's something that I think should kind of be on all of our radar. Amelia has her second big breakthrough of the episode at her book reading in 1990, where we finally get a look at the black man with a crazy eye as he angrily questions her after her book reading asking if she actually has any theories or any re- leads or if she's just profiting off of these kids. All she can say is dolls because you remember back to all the creepy dolls who were showing up at this disappearance. You know, they were bought by a woman or they were sold by a woman, racist Patty, who who said she remembered a, a black man with a bad eye selling them to him, which led obviously to the trailer park and them you know, running down the wrong black man with the bad eye. 
but this guy shows back up in 1990. I don't know if that leads anywhere because, again, we know this this case wasn't solved, but it's our second kind of uh, breakthrough for Amelia in this episode. Tom, like I said, is trying to break this case open by himself, trying to find his daughter, trying to kind of clear his name and his suspicion. And he, he goes to the motel where he knows that his cousin by marriage, Dan, is at. And he uh, brings his gun out and questions him. And it leads to a fight. And it leads to him basically forcing this information that we were teased with. He gets it by force as he bangs his head up against uh, up and down against the floor and pulls the gun out. But we get the information that that he was trying to sell Roland and Wayne, which, by the way, I, if I'm it may be happening, I missed it. But uh, or maybe they, uh, you know, the writers just kind of messed this part up. But Tom knew the amount that he was asking, trying to sell the information for. And it did not say that whenever he was overhearing the cops. So they, uh, you know, he said he has one bullet for every $1,000 and has seven bullets. And, of course, we know that O'Brien asked for $7,000 for the information. But here are the two of them as he tries to uh, beat the information out of O'Brien. I don't know nothing about no people, all right? I never do nothing like that. Julie? She was... She was Where is she? I don't know. Where's my daughter? I don't know. You lying, motherfucker! Man, you ever ask yourself where Lucy got the money to run off? Or what she was living on for all of eight years before she died? Hmm? Say what you say, goddammit! I'm saying... I'm saying... I know who was paying her. Listen, man, I know who was paying her. And who would have a problem if she asked for more? That's all I was gonna give the cops, man! That's all I was gonna give the cops! A name! Shit! Just a man's name! Alright, you dumb shit. Give me a reason not to murder you. He knows nothing about the people, but all the information he had was, was, look, man, what did you think? How did you think Lucy afforded to run away? Someone's been paying her. Someone's been keeping her fed until she asked for more money, which at the diner, of course, if you remember, uh, O'Brien told the cops that Lucy always had a problem with asking for more and more and, you know, not really knowing when to say stop and Apparently, she has made the wrong people mad, and she was killed and made it look like an overdose. But someone has been paying Lucy to stay quiet. And then you see Tom driving past the Hoyt mansion, to which we have the big reveal. The It, it looks like we know what's happened here, for the most part, as Tom easily gets in the house. He breaks the window, easily gets in. Walks past a security, you know, you see the security guard on camera watching him never really intervenes as the door is kind of open and leading straight to this pink room. Again, the pink room, you keep hearing about that with Julie. She's the princess of the pink castle, all of that. And you see Tom stumble into this, which, by the way, a little creepy sign above there with the uh, the no molestar above the door. I don't know if that was intentional, but it felt intentional and, and, and creepy. But he walks into the pink room, and as he is, it looks like a security guard. Harrison, the guy from earlier, the guy who's the head of security at Hoyt, uh, sneaks in right behind him as he says, Julie. All of that seemed a little too easy for Tom, almost to the point of setup. 
almost to the point of setup as he overheard the cops talking this, gets the information from uh, his cousin and waltzes right into the Hoyt mansion into the the pink room. Almost feels like a setup. Uh, again, we'll see what happens. We got two episodes to put this all together. My big theory coming out of this one is that I kind of feel like there's a chance that Roland is going to be involved in this. We'll see. Maybe that's just kind of a misdirection, like I said, but I'm excited to see how it wraps up. It's got a lot to do over the next two episodes, which I think we're ultimately going to be leading towards a 2015 showdown between Old Man Wayne and Old Man Hoyt. All right, that was Let's Talk TV, True Detective, Season 3, Episode 6. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review, patreon.com slash Ranch. Hit me with your theories. Am I an idiot for thinking Roland might be connected? Talk to you soon.